Ecclesiastes chapter 5. If you remember from last week, we decided to take a shorter passage, just the first seven verses of chapter 5. And I committed to then now starting in verse 8 and going all the way, finishing chapter 5 and all of chapter 6 um, tonight, as it, uh, it is kind of one, one thought that there's a lot of similarities between both what we see in the rest of 5 and all of 6. And so you'll see us kind of going back and forth here tonight. It is a long passage, um, so please follow along. This is the very word of God. Uh, far more important or powerful than any words I'll say tonight. So uh, let's please listen and follow along uh, as we hear from God's word. Chapter 5, starting in verse 8. If you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, do not be amazed at that matter, for the high official is watched by a higher, and there are yet higher ones over them. But this is gain for a land in every way, a king committed to cultivated fields. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them? And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. There's a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owners to his hurt, and those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again. Naked as he came, and shall take away, uh, sorry, shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness and much vexation and sickness and anger. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun. The few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun and it lies heavy on mankind. A man to whom God gives wealth, possessions and honor so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires. Yet God does not give him power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. It is a grievous evil. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years, so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things, and he also has no burial, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. For it comes in vanity and goes in darkness, and in darkness its name is covered. Moreover, it has not seen the sun or known anything, yet it finds rather, yet it finds rest rather than he. Even though he should live a thousand years twice over, yet enjoy no good, do not all go to the one place? All the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. For what advantage has the wise man over the fool? And what does the poor man have who knows how to conduct himself before the living? Better is the sight of the eyes than wandering of the appetite. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. Whatever has come to be 
has already been named. And it is known what man is. And that he is not able to dispute with the one stronger than he. The more words, the more vanity. What is the advantage to man? For who knows what is good for man while he lives the few days of his vain life, which he passes like a shadow. For who can tell man what will be after him under the sun? This is the word of God. Allow me to pray as we begin our time studying his word. Lord, uh, we are humbled by your word. Lord, we know it is your very word. God, I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us tonight through your word, that you would convict our hearts through your spirit, that we would see how great you are, how worthy you are of worship. Lord, that we would find joy in you. God, I ask that you would clear any distractions in our minds and that you would truly work in our hearts to your glory and your praise. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, a few weeks ago, if you were here, uh, you may remember I, I told you a little bit about how I purchased crazy bones. Do you remember I talked about crazy bones, these, these little things, right? Okay. Uh, and I think what I was talking about with the crazy bones was like that they're all gone, right? Like I sold them for nothing. Um, but what I didn't tell you is the, the time in which I bought all those crazy bones. And I remember the time very specific because I saved up all my money. I mean, like everything I had, all the Christmas money, all my birthday money, all my tour money, everything that I had. And I, I went down to Zany Brainy. I think I told you guys that. I went down to a store called Zany Brainy. Uh, and, I, and I just I spent it all. Like I just went on a spree. I said, however many crazy bones I can get with this. And like throw down like a wad of like $2 bills. But no, like two $1 bills. But anyways, it was everything I had. And it, it, was, it was actually – Fairly addicting because what they had was uh, like a sealed package of four different crazy bones in it. You don't know what's in it, right? But you, like you know, oh, I want this guy or I, you know this shape. I want this color. Like you wanted to find specific ones, and so I bought everything. Well, not everything. I spent everything and bought all the crazy bones uh, that I could with that money. And I, now keep in mind, I'm probably like eight years old at this time. Okay. Uh, and then I remember shortly after. Wanting to buy something else. I don't remember what it was. But I remember like asking my mom, like, oh, can we go to the store? Like, I, I want to get this. And she asked if I had any money to get it. And I did it. And I remember exactly where I was standing when I was having this conversation. And my mom saying to me that if I didn't spend all my money, then I would have money to buy this thing, whatever it was that I wanted. But because I spent it all, I don't have money to buy it. And I remember thinking right there in that moment that from here on out, I am deciding I'm going to save my money. And here on out, I've decided I'm going to be rich one day so I can buy whatever I want anytime I want. Because I hated the feeling of I want this, but I don't have the money to get it. I mean, I'm eight years old. But I remember that feeling so strongly. And actually to this day, I am a saver. I do like to save money. And it started uh, in that, at that moment. And even at such a young age, around eight or so, my pursuit of riches began. Like I, I, I determined I want more and more money <laughs> so I can buy more and more things. And the pursuit of riches is a common pursuit for many people. The desire to have more and more wealth is not uh, an unusual desire. And the reasons may vary. 
Uh, maybe people want more money so they can have more material items. Like for me, right? I wanted money so I can buy more things, more toys. Maybe people want to buy more homes or cars or clothes or video games or computers or like whatever. You want more money so you can have more things. Some people want more money because they want the status. They want people to view them as successful or rich and they, or they don't want them to view them as, as poor. Some people want more money so they can have security so that they, they can feel safe. And secure, you know, they don't want that feeling of, oh, what happens if I can't uh, pay for what I need to pay for? People have different reasons. And maybe for many of you in this room, uh, probably most of you, you don't have to pay bills, uh, right? Raise your hand if you don't have to pay bills right now. Okay, a lot of hands. Okay, that's what I thought. Most of you, I don't need to pay bills. Most of you. Uh, maybe don't have to have a job uh, or you don't have a job and you don't need to have a job. Uh, for most of you, maybe any wealth you have, any money you have is not even really your own. Um, so for many of you in this room, maybe you haven't faced the temptation to idolize or to seek joy or seek satisfaction or contentment or purpose in your riches. You're like, yeah, I don't really think about riches very much. And if that's you, then maybe the question you're asking yourself is, so why should we study this passage about riches? Like This is a big passage all about riches, uh, and I don't even really care about riches. I don't even really interact with money at all. So why study it? Well, for one, you should have a biblical understanding of riches. Whether you are involved in it right now or not, you need to have a biblical understanding of riches. Because the way in which the world views riches is astronomically different than the way Scripture views riches. And so it's of great importance that you view riches in light of how Scripture views it. And secondly, I do want to say that this passage, this passage is not just about the outward pursuit of riches, in which for many of you maybe you feel like does not apply to you because you don't outwardly pursue riches. But this passage goes deeper than that and it addresses the heart. The way in which this passage addresses the heart it will play into other pursuits you may have, uh, other idols you may be storing up in your heart that may be related to or connected to riches, and maybe in ways that you didn't even realize. And so my prayer is that uh, you would see the truth that Scripture has, and that the Spirit would convict you and teach you. And so we look to Solomon. Solomon, the one who had great wisdom and the one who possessed many riches, probably more riches than anyone in here will ever possess. And so in this passage, we're going to see the dangers and the consequences of pursuing riches under the sun. And he gives us five reasons why the pursuit of riches is vanity. So that's what we're going to look at first, and then we'll end our time by seeing that we can find true contentment in the riches of Christ. Okay? So, first, we see the vanity of riches under the sun. I mean, quite a lot of points, all right? Uh, you can see it starts in uh, chapter 5, verses 8 through 17, and then also to complement that will be chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. All right, so let's look at. Uh, five reasons why the pursuit of riches is vanity. What are some of these dangers and consequences of pursuing riches? First, riches will not satisfy. 
Chapter 5, verse 10, and then chapter 6, 1 through 3. Riches will not satisfy. Look at verse 10. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money. It's pretty clear. Nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. He says it right there. You will not be satisfied. The satisfaction is the idea, or not being satisfied, I should say. This, this not being satisfied is the idea of constantly wanting more. You're not satisfied. That you are constantly setting the goalposts further and further. See, often we see what we have and we view it as not enough. And we see what we don't have and we think that's what I need. That's how much I need to be happy. And so that's your goal. And then eventually you get to that point and you have it. You have what you believe you need to be happy. And then you once again see what you have and you view it as not enough. And so then you place the goal post further again and so on and so forth. That's what he's getting at. Your heart deceives you, telling you, if you had more, if only you had more, then you would be happy. But it will never be enough. And you will never be satisfied. So many people don't believe that. And they say, no, no, but really, like like this measuring stick, like once I get to that goalpost, for real, that will be enough. Only to discover that you once again move the post further and further because you're not truly satisfied. And it's a never-ending pursuit for more. Because you will never be satisfied in the riches of this world, says Solomon. So the question we must ask ourselves is, will I be content with what I have? That's what we ought to ask ourselves. Will I be content with what I have? Or will I continue to need more? To see what I don't have... And view that as, that's what I need to have. See, the issue is not, do you have enough or not? The issue really is a matter of the heart. Will you be content? Or will you continue to have the need for more? Now, the beginning of chapter 6, the first few verses, described a man who has everything you could ever want. And in the ancient world, having many possessions, having many children, and having a long life, they were all indications that you have a blessed and you have a good life. Like, you made it. Like, that's, that's it. And Solomon describes a man who has all of this and yet is not able to enjoy it. And he's not satisfied. But everything around him and his circumstances and the culture, they would say that he is a man who should be satisfied. And yet he isn't. Why? Because it doesn't matter what our culture or what our circumstances might tell us is an all-satisfying life. It doesn't matter. It matters what God's Word says. And God's Word says that you will not find satisfaction in the riches of the world. And God's Word says you will not find satisfaction outside of Jesus Christ. Because the things under the sun are all vanity. What are you seeking satisfaction in? 
the riches of this world? Do you believe that you'll be more satisfied in life if you had more money? That you'd be more satisfied in life if, if you had more things and you had more experiences that money could buy? They, oh man, if we had money to go do this, if we had money to go buy this, if we had money for this and that, then my life would be better. My life would be happier. I'd be more content. I'd be more satisfied. You constantly find yourself desiring for more and more that what you have is not enough. But if you had more, then, then you would be satisfied. All you need is just a little bit more. That's what Solomon's talking about. Solomon says, riches will not satisfy. You think if you had more riches, you'll be satisfied. And he says, no. There is no satisfaction in riches. So first, riches will not satisfy. Second, riches attract problems. Verse 11. Riches attract problems. It says, when goods increase, they increase to eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Solomon's saying, the more riches you have, the more problems you have. Isn't that, isn't that a rap song? More riches, more problems, right? I don't even know who does that. <laughs> Whoever does, probably shouldn't listen to them. Well, that's true, though. More, more riches, more problems. It's this idea, really, of, the, of this animal being all-consuming, like, like a parasite or like a leech that's just biting away. That's, that's what he's getting at here in verse 11. Imagine a parasite. Imagine a leech just biting away at you. And some say that oh, some say that Solomon is describing the love of money, that, that, that this pursuit of riches as the monster itself, that the love of money is that parasite. As you long for more and more money, that, that desire, that pursuit eats away at your life. Eats away at your joy. It could be that. Others believe that Solomon is referring to other people as the parasite. That the so-called friends who suddenly come around when they know you have money. This would be consistent with what Solomon also says in Proverbs 19.4. He says, wealth brings many new friends. As you gain more money, other parasites enter your life and they start eating away at your money. Everyone wants a little bit of it. And people say they're your friends and they say they love you, but really they just love your money. And eventually your money will be gone because they've taken it. The point is this, that people think money will remove all of the problems, but Solomon says, no, it doesn't remove problems, it creates more problems. See, there's this belief that if I had more money, then I wouldn't have this problem or that problem anymore. Like my problems would go away. I just need more money. And Solomon says, no, you'll just have more problems. Do you find yourself ever thinking, if I had more money, I wouldn't have these problems anymore? And it can be hard to guard against that way of thinking. Because in a lot of ways, Money can alleviate many problems. Like, we, right? We have to admit to that. We have to, like, see that. It's true. Things cost money. <laughs> Maybe you don't have a car. Maybe you don't have a place to live. Maybe you don't have food to eat. Like, money would help with that. 
That's not what he's getting at here. Solomon's talking about this this all-consuming pursuit of riches in which you're you're seeking purpose and meaning and, and satisfaction in your riches. He's not saying don't have any money because any amount of money just causes more problems. So if you don't want any problems in your life, just be bankrupt. That's, that's not what he's saying. Remember, he's, he's talking about your heart, your pursuit, your hope in riches. And he's saying that kind of disposition towards riches will only create more problems, not solve them. So riches attract problems. Next, riches causes restlessness. 5.12 and 6.3-5. Riches causes restlessness. Let me read 5.12 for you. Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. So right here, Solomon compares two people. He does that a lot. The first is the laborer who eats a little or a lot. It doesn't matter, really, he's saying. But he's saying he's content. And so his sleep is sweet. The second person is the rich man who has a full stomach. Like, that sounds good. But he cannot sleep. And why can he not sleep? Because he's restless. Because he has no peace. Because he's constantly looking at what he doesn't have. He's constantly thinking about what he needs to do next in order to sustain or in order to gain more riches. Right? I mean, you, you hear people say, well, I can sleep when I'm dead. Yeah, I guess. Or, or you can sleep now. Like, <laughs> why do you have to be dead to sleep? Like, that, that's the idea this is getting at. Like, oh, no, I don't got time to sleep. Or no, I'm dead. I need to get more. I need to do more. Like, there's not sleep for the one who is constantly pursuing riches. Whether it's because they, they overwork or whether it's because they're up all night with this burning desire for more. They're restless. They cannot sleep. Their discontentment causes them to be restless. Does your discontentment <clears throat> cause you to be restless? Is it hard for you to rest because you need more and you need more? You constantly have this pursuit to gain more. Or your mind is constantly running and dwelling on the things that you don't have. And so you're restless. Rest is a gift from God. This all-consuming pursuit of riches, it robs us of this gift. Instead, we ought to be satisfied and content in what he has given us. And be able to enjoy the gift of rest as well. Now in chapter 6, I told you we're kind of going back and forth. Solomon says that a stillborn baby, that, that's a baby who, who has miscarried, who did not make it to full term pregnancy, who has died. says a, a stillborn baby is better off than the one who pursues riches. Wow. Why does he say this? Chapter 6, verse 5. Moreover... It is not seen the sun. That's talking about the stillborn. It is not seen the sun or known anything, yet it finds rest rather than he. So that stillborn baby finds more rest than the one who is pursuing riches. Seeing the baby doesn't experience that toil 
that, that, that toil and the vanity of the riches. This baby's at rest. Blessed be the baby who doesn't have to experience the longing to have more and more, the, the, the restlessness of needing to have more. Instead, this baby has peace. This baby's at rest. Do you find yourself restless? Not at peace because of your desire to have more? The pursuit of riches will bring you restlessness. Next, riches can vanish instantly. Chapter 5, verses 13 through 14. Riches can vanish instantly. Let me read 13, 14 for you. There's a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt, and those riches were lost in a bad venture. That's where he lost it all. And he is father of a son. He has nothing in his hand. What he's saying is that you can do all you can to keep your money, but one day it could all be gone. That you can store up more and more riches, but it could all be gone like that. It could all just vanish in an instant. There's no security in riches. And many people long for security in general. And they seek their security and riches often. I want to say, saving your money, right? Saving. It's not a bad thing. Having a savings account, saving your money, not just blowing your money as soon as you get it. That, that's not a bad thing. In fact, in many ways, it's a good thing, okay? You should save your money and not just spend it as soon as you get it. And security is not a bad thing. I want to say that. To desire and to pursue security, it's not wrong. It's wise to make decisions that give you security and financial security for yourself. And if one day you have a family, for your family. But let me ask this. What, what security in yourself do you truly have? Think about that. What security in yourself do you actually have? We spend all these resources and all this time in building and establishing security for ourselves but in reality, we possess no security in ourselves. We rest and we operate in the sovereign plan of God. Someone, for instance, could have built all, you know, their house, this compound, have all these security cameras. They have all these tall fences. They can lock all their doors. They, they could stay hidden in their home. They could never leave. Like they could be hiding in their closet for their whole lives so they have the most security, the most safety. Like there's no way. There's no chance anyone's going to get me. Like I'm safe here. And in an instant, I mean, what? It, it, an earthquake could strike, right? And like it's all gone. In an instant, a foreign country could bomb them, and it's all gone. Like, they think they've built all the security for themselves, and just like that, they have no security. And we think we possess security, but we don't. It's not to say that, that we, we don't do things that, that are wise, we don't do things that are responsible, but it means that our trust must not rest in ourselves. And what we can do to provide security. Our trust must rest in God. In relation to riches, we cannot place our hope and security in our own riches. 
We think there's true security in riches. That the more money we have, the more security we have. And Solomon says, no, it could all vanish in an instant. Your wealth could be here today, and it could be gone tomorrow. You ultimately have no control over that. Is your hope in your wealth? Is your hope in the security of your wealth? Your hope for security must not be in anything else other than the sovereign hand of God. Because while riches may vanish in an instant, God never will. He is where true security can be found. The last thing in this section, the vanity of riches under the sun, is that riches expire at the grave. Riches expire at the grave. This is 5, 15 through 17 and 6, 6. Let me read 15 through 17. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil, that he may carry away in his hand. I'll stop there. Just verse 15. The same way in which we came into this world is the same way we will leave this world. We came in with nothing, and we will leave with nothing. I mean, it's as simple as that. We know that. We came from dust, and we will return to dust. All the riches we may gain here in this life will not come with us to eternity. He says that there's no difference between the poor man and the rich man in regards to death. No difference. Remember, death is the great equalizer. No matter how much money they have, both the rich man and the poor man, it doesn't matter. Both will be buried in the ground. Both will rot. Both will take nothing with them to eternity. It's the same. Their riches expire at the grave. And in 6.6, Solomon says, even though he should live a thousand years twice over, yet enjoy no good, do not all go to the one place? (laughs) They all go to the grave. People attempt so hard to extend their life as long as possible. And maybe the rich person has more opportunity to extend their life longer than a poor person. Maybe. And I'm not against extending lives. I'm all for it. But in the end, we all go to the grave. And your riches cannot stop you from that. At some point, your money will not be able to buy you another day. And at that point, all your money will no longer belong to you. Your riches expire at the grave. Are you storing up for yourself riches in this life? It's only good for this life. (laughs) Not for eternity. Are you storing up for yourselves treasures on earth? Where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. Or are you storing up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal? Well, that is the vanity of riches under the sun. Next, we see the contentment of riches in Christ. The contentment of riches in Christ. Chapter 5, 18 through 20. And then 6, 7 through 12. 
really the main focus is 18 through 20. It's like he kind of sandwiched in this hope right in between all these, this vanity of riches. But we'll allude to the end of six. First, I have three step points here. First, it, oh, that's so hard to see on this projector. The, the Christian recognizes that all good gifts come from God. You can see that, right? You can figure that out, right? Nolan, how you, you okay back there? Well, you got the computer. Yeah, that doesn't count. <laughs> That's cheating. The Christian recognizes that all good gifts come from God. You can't really see God, but I know. Like you're on the edge of your seat. It says God, okay? I don't think it's like, I don't know, your mom. <laughs> what? All right. But moms are great. Thank you, moms. All right, 18 and 19. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with one toils under the sun, the few days of life that God has given him, for this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them. Here we go, listen to this. Uh, And to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil. All of that, he says what? This. This is the gift of God. There we go. Has God given you, has God blessed you in various ways? Either say yes or no. Yes, Yes, right? Yes. And the point is not to ignore that. The point is not to rid yourself of all that. Like, oh no, riches are so bad, all these things. We just got to rid ourselves of everything. We we, we can't enjoy it. Well, the, the point is not to live an ascetic life of no pleasure. That's not what he's saying. The point is to be content. To enjoy it. And to recognize the hand it came from. Solomon calls us to contentment and to enjoy what we do have. Instead of the desire and the craving to have more and more, instead of looking at what we don't have, we're to be content with what we do have. Recognize that God has given you many good gifts, yes. And enjoy those gifts. Don't idolize them. Don't make them your greatest pursuits or or your purpose for living, but enjoy them. Can you enjoy what God has given you? Can you be thankful for what he's given you and truly enjoy it? Regardless if, if it's more or less than what others have, can you enjoy it? See, when we make it our greatest pursuit to gain more and more, we lose out on enjoying the very gifts that are in our hands that God's already given to us. Because our eyes are not set on what we have here in our hands, but our eyes are set on what we don't have. And so we can't enjoy what we do have. Does that make sense? That was a lot of we have, we don't have. I'm saying this, right? Just look at your hands. Everyone look at them. Your hands. And look, imagine everything God's given you. Okay, this is what I see. God, thank you for this. But now put your eyes up. And when your eyes are, are far, all the other stuff you don't have, how can you enjoy what's in your hand? Your eyes are over there, but what you don't have. Now look back at your hand. But this I can enjoy. Okay, now put your hands down. You look ridiculous. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to say. All right, is enjoy what God has given you. Not just being discontent and fixating your eyes on what you don't have. And part of what Solomon's saying is that God is the one who enables us to enjoy what he's given to us. You realize that? That part of his grace, one of his gifts, is the ability to enjoy what he has given us. It's the ability to be content. That's what he says. In fact, 
What is it? Paul in Philippians 4 said, I learned to be content. And he learned that. Because it was, it's a gift from God. It's an act of grace. And so if you struggle with contentment, ask God to give you a heart of thanksgiving and contentment. Because it comes from him. He is the one who gives us the ability to do so. And we're also called to recognize that God is the giver of these gifts. So when we have a heart of discontentment and, and, and complaining, we're reflecting a heart that is not recognizing, that is not thankful for the gifts that God's given us. Every gift, every single one. I'll challenge anyone on this. Every single gift we have is by his grace and is more than we deserve. Every single one. Even the gift of breath is a gift of God's grace and more than we deserve. And yet God graciously gives us these gifts upon gifts. And when we have a discontent heart, we're like that complaining little child that just throws it away and says, No, I want more. I want that one. And we fail to recognize the grace of God in our lives and what he's given us. So we have to recognize. Thank you, God, for what you have given to me. Not, but I want that instead. Now, I do want to be clear. Money and wealth and riches, these are not bad things. These are gifts from God. And maybe God has blessed you with money and riches. It's not a bad thing. It's not something to be ashamed of. It's something we're to give him thanks for. It is the love of money. That is the root of all kinds of evil, right? It's not money. It's the love of money. It is when we elevate riches higher than God, when we pursue riches more than Him, when we seek our satisfaction and our meaning and our purpose in riches, that's when it becomes evil. Do not just reject the gift of riches from God. Don't reject Him. Enjoy it. But don't idolize it. And be aware of the dangers of making it your greatest love or elevating it higher than God. Do not love the gift greater than the giver. Next we see the Christian can find joy in God. The Christian can find joy in God. 520 is really where he hits that home, but we'll allude to 6, 7, and 12. The Christian can find joy in God. Listen to what he says. For he will not much remember the days of his life. Why? Because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. See, we can become so distracted by the things of this world. The riches of this world can overwhelm our thoughts and our desires. But the Christian, he's saying, can put those distractions aside and find true joy in God. Regardless of of how many riches you have or you do not have, the Christian can find joy in God. Our joy is not dependent on on the amount of riches we have. Our joy is not dependent on our circumstances in our life, but our joy is dependent on God, who is unchanging, and who is the giver, and who is the source, and who is the subject of our joy. What it comes down to understanding that riches and wealth is not our ultimate need. 
Our ultimate need is God himself. And it is God's desire that we would recognize, that we would understand that. It is his desire that that we do not become distracted or or deceived by the riches of this world and and to, to fall for the lie that our greatest need is more wealth. Instead, we're to realize and understand that God is our greatest need. And Christian, when you understand that you have no greater need than God, when you understand that God has fulfilled your greatest need in Christ, when you understand that you possess a loving relationship with God and all the inheritance in Him, then you can come to a place of true joy in your heart. Because you have what you need. God Himself. When you, What you have in God is better than the things that the riches of this world can offer. But it's when our eyes wander away from God and begin looking at this false God, this empty promise, that our joy shrinks. Because our eyes have wandered away from true joy. What it says in 6, verse 9. Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. Are your eyes wandering? Is your appetite somewhere else other than God? Your eyes wander? Are you looking for joy outside of Christ? If so, then no wonder you have no satisfaction. Keep your eyes fixated on God. And you will find joy in Him. For there's nothing as joyous as worshiping God and living for His glory. That is true joy. Do not let your eyes wander onto these false gods. Lastly, the Christian is rich in Christ. The Christian is rich in Christ. It is faith in Jesus Christ in which we can find true joy and satisfaction. Not in riches, not in more things, but in Christ. And it is the realities of his gospel that makes us truly rich. Christian, we are rich in Christ. Richer than any man on earth. If you are a Christian, you truly are richer than any amount of money can ever make you. You believe that? Sometimes our pursuit for earthly riches is so great we forget the riches we possess in Christ. That we're already richer. 2 Corinthians 8.9 For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. See, you are rich in Christ, Christian. Christ humbled himself and he left the riches of heaven. He died a criminal's death on the cross. Oh, he was perfect. He shouldn't have died, but he died as a criminal so that you may possess the riches of heaven found in him. Ephesians 1, 7. In him, Christ, we have redemption through his blood, Christ's blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Chapter 2, verse 7. So that in the coming ages, he, Christ, might show the immeasurable riches of his grace. 
Do you see that? That because of the redemption through his blood, we have forgiveness of our sins and we have the riches of his grace. And those riches we possess in Christ, Paul says they are immeasurable. You can't measure the riches of his grace that you possess in Christ. You can measure riches on earth. It has a number. Not the riches you have in Christ. It's immeasurable, he says. I mean, it's impossible for you to measure that. Christian, do you see what you possess in Christ? You are so rich in him. I and mean, what are the riches on earth compared to what we have in Christ? It's nothing. It's silly that we'd even talk about it. What we have in the gospel, what we have in Jesus Christ is far greater than any riches of earth. Rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ and find contentment and joy and satisfaction in his riches that you possess. Oh, we've seen the dangers, the consequences, the vanity of pursuing riches under the sun. Why will we never find true satisfaction in riches or, or the things of this world? Why is it that we will always want more and more and more? Because we are not created to be satisfied in these things. We were created to be satisfied in God. And when we seek our satisfaction in the things of this world, whether it's more riches or whatever, whether it's more technology or more friends or, or, or more fun or whatever it might be, we will not find satisfaction. I mean, is that not where all the Ecclesiastes have been so far? Why? Because those things aren't God. They're idols. They're false gods. Can they be gifts from God? Yeah. Can they be enjoyed? Yeah. But they're never meant to bring us true joy or satisfaction or meaning in this life. So let's close with this and ask this question. Then how should the Christian interact with the riches of this world? What is the proper way for a Christian then to interact with the riches of this world? Well, first and foremost, the gospel ought to change how you interact with the riches of this world. Because the gospel ought to show you the true riches you possess in Christ. And when you see the riches you have in Christ, it ought to minimize the value that you put on the riches of this world. So with that in mind, let me propose for you, Christian, some negative ways and some positive ways that you ought to interact with the riches of this world. Let's try to do this quick. If you're writing all this down, you're going to have to write fast. Here are the negative ways. One... Do not idolize riches. Do not, that's why I say negative, because they be all nots. Do not idolize riches. To make riches an idol would be to make riches your greatest goal and your greatest purpose in life. To make riches an idol would be to love riches more than anything else. Do not idolize riches. Next, do not hoard your riches. Do not hoard your riches. To hoard your riches would be to be selfish with your riches. To hoard your riches would be to, to not be generous and not be given to others, especially those who have less than you. Do not hoard your riches. Next, do not place your hope in riches. Do not place your hope in riches. To place your hope in riches would be to try to find your security in riches. To place your hope in riches would be to believe that the more riches you have, the better your life will be. Do not place your hope in riches. The last negative, 
Do not be proud of your riches. Do not be proud of your riches. To be proud of your riches would be to look down upon others who have less than you. To be proud of your riches would be to not acknowledge that every single penny of your riches comes from God's sovereign hand. Period. Do not be proud of your riches. Let me propose some positive. B. Be responsible slash be a good steward of your riches. Be responsible or good steward of your riches. With however much God has given you, be a good steward of that. And some will have less, and some will have more. It doesn't matter. Be a good steward of what God has specifically given you. Be responsible with that money. Manage it well. Next, be generous with your riches. Be generous. Do you find it challenging to give to others? Find it challenging to be generous? You ought to have a heart of generosity, one that desires to give to others. Not just a desire to gain more for yourself, but to give to others. Lastly, be thankful for your riches. Be thankful. Do you acknowledge the hand your riches come from? Because they all come from God. So give Him thanks and be thankful for what you do have instead of being unthankful for what you don't have. Be thankful for what God has given you, as much or as little as it is. If you are not a Christian, I want to say to you, do not place your hope in the riches of this world. Do not make your greatest pursuit be the riches of this world. What does it profit a man if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? It doesn't matter what kind of riches you have here on earth. What matters is your relationship with God. Are you right with God? Or are you still in rebellion against him? So non-Christian, I tell you, do not place your hope in the riches of this world, but place your hope in Jesus Christ, who offers eternal joy, who offers eternal purpose, who offers eternal life. These things are not found in the riches of the world. These things aren't found in anything in the world. These things aren't found in yourself, but they are found in Jesus Christ. Pursue Christ above all else. The pursuit of riches will leave you empty. Find your hope and your purpose in Jesus Christ. Ask that he will give you faith to believe. And he give you a heart of repentance. Jesus is our true riches. Treasure him above all else. Worship him. Find joy in him. And praise him. Above all, let's pray. Lord God, you are our treasure. You are greater than anything. You're greater than all things. Lord, I pray that we would be content with what you have given to us, as much or as little as it is. Lord, that we would not idolize riches or the things of this world, but instead, God, we would enjoy what you've given to us, that we'll be responsible with what you've given to us, But most of all, God, that we would find our joy in who you are. And that we would worship you. For you are worthy of all worship. Lord, I pray that you would continue to be working our hearts. As we discuss these things, God, your spirit would be moving in us to your glory. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.